1969, South Vietnam. An army unit is investigating the disappearance of another unit. Vanished. No trace. That's how Inhuman begins. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. The unit finds what appears to be the cause, something supernatural. Inhuman is written by Eric Leland, which is now an ebook, paperback, and also an audiobook. And the author tells us more. I want to thank you for your years of service in the military, 12 years. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Being that you were in the military, this is the basis of this story is a unit. And it's actually going back to 1969 in South Vietnam, where a, a unit goes missing. Another unit is sent to investigate, and they come up to compound the reasons why. A demon. Pretty cool. How did this idea come to you? Uh, I was actually in the middle of writing a, uh, a fantasy novel, my first book, uh, which was a uh, catastrophic failure. <laughs> So uh, NaNoWriMo came around and I was like, you know, I'll, I'll just start something new and just see where I can go from there. And uh, originally it was supposed to be a, uh, a zombie story, but I started looking at the, uh, the fiction and, and the movies that scared me the most. And it was always some type of demonic possession. And I was like, well, you know, if I enjoy that, I, I think other people will enjoy it too. So more with Eric Leland talking about his work in Human in a moment. Well, obviously, your years in the military helped you to define how the military act and talk. So that was not a difficult thing for you. No, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the characters, the way they talk is really me and my friends, you know, um, just conversations we had, things we thought were, you know, funny or things that terrified us, you know, the things we were ashamed to admit that we were afraid of, you know, talking amongst ourselves and we would never admit in public. But uh, those are the things that uh, you'll find in the book. Hmm. Well, and really what's also interesting is that they come across a person who has certain skills that could help them out. You know, talk about her a little bit and how she kind of plays into the story. So I'm not really spoiling anything. Uh, you, you find out uh, a lot of her backstory in the first chapter. But uh, so my wife and her family uh, were living in Vietnam uh, during the war. And, mm. uh, you know, they were displaced. Wow. And hearing her story uh, was terrifying in and of itself. I wanted to have a character on the front line with the military guys that wasn't a military character who had their own, you know, hopes and dreams essentially shattered by, you know, collateral damage essentially. Yeah. And I think that just added a, another uh, horror element, you know, to the story, but you know, some of the other stuff uh, I might spoil the story if I give it away. So, <laughs> um, However, she's she's not Vietnamese. She her and her family are hiding uh, and keeping a secret in Vietnam. Well, you know, her story is, is uh, being displaced. It also humanizes the story and grounds it a little more. And that's so important 
because you have to relate to what's going on because it's an unusual circumstance. So mm-hmm. Obviously, when you were writing, that was part of what you wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And the main character, Brandon, he kind of acts as a stand-in for oh, someone, the non-military Americans, I guess, who would read the book. Um, you know, he's not skilled. He's he's very much a, a yes man sent by the CIA, you know, to quote unquote, keep, keep the enlisted men in line. Uh, so the thoughts that he has, um, you, you know, being inexperienced and being thrown in with a very specialized and experienced unit, I think that I think that also humanizes it and you know allows readers to to comfortably step into the book, you know, following a character who doesn't know when they themselves don't know, you know, the specifics of you know military tactics. As far as the demon himself, what was it like in creating the demon? And I guess with this, you kind of have to have some ground rules as to what they can and cannot do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like restrictions. Um, I like restrictions on the characters I create. I like restrictions on, I like putting restrictions on myself, you know, like, you know, for example, uh, 10 pages per chapter. Um, so what I thought would be cool for the demon would be, Whenever he uses some supernatural ability, he uses up the life force of the person he's possessing. So it, you know, it allows him to do to do pretty great and terrible things. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make it hopeless for the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. Do you go into the whole, uh, you know, possession of who he oh, the demon possesses that kind of thing too? Yeah, you'll you'll get some uh, point of view chapters from the person as they are possessed. I, I'm very much a fan of, of Lovecraft who doesn't, uh, doesn't explain the weird. Yeah. You know? And um, so, you know, you get some backstory as to why these things are the way they are uh, through Jaren and through the conversations with the demon while he's in your head. But really there's not a lot of uh, explanation as to why he can do the things that he can do. I would think that there is a right off the bat kind of conflict between him, Brandon, and John Nichols, who is that experienced leader right off the bat. Uh, you know, why is this guy essentially telling me what to do when he has no experience whatsoever? So I would think that would lead some conflict right there. And that's a very true experience in the military. Yeah. It seems that you have the perfect team assembled and just by the nature of the military uh, people move every two to three years, you know, and that's that's just what happens. Yeah, so I, I think that kind of adds some verisimilitude to to the story. Mm-hmm. When you were writing this, uh, was this? Did you outline everything first, or did you kind of uh, have a general idea and just jumped right in? Yeah, I, I had an ending. I had kind of an idea of what I wanted to have happen as far as themes, you know, yeah. as far as what I, what I wanted to have happen for Brandon. But as far as outlining, I'm, I'm very much a, uh, a hybrid uh, between a pantser and a, uh, an outliner. So what I do is I outline the big major story beats and I kind of discovery right my way from chapter, chapter beginning to chapter end. 
Yeah, but when I started, I, I basically had the whole thing plotted out. Aside from the fact that originally, if you get to the point where the things happen with you know John, that was originally supposed to happen to Brandon. And I thought yeah. it would be more compelling if Brandon, the inexperienced guy, got a chance to step up. Any one character that is closer to you or are you in... A lot of the other characters, a little bit of you is called in them too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of me in every character. You know, Chris's just complete unwillingness to take things seriously. Brandon's self-doubt and and anxiety, but then John's just unwavering sense of duty. Those are all big parts of me. Other service members that I've I've looked up to and who've mentored me over the years, you know, they're they're little pieces of them are in there too. Do you find that um, because you do it that way, it gives you some flexibility in the story and it's not too rigid for you? Sometimes ideas that come at the spur of the moment when you're, you know, I handwrite. So um, if I'm throwing in a comma and then a new idea just starts like, well, that would be cool. And I just, you know, I, I, I like the, I like the flexibility that discovery writing in the confines of these specific story beats that I'm trying to hit. I I like the, uh, I like the wiggle room that I have. How long did it take you to write this? From beginning to published book was about five years. Wow. Because in that time I kind of had to learn how to write. I, I, you know, I went and got a, uh, a master's in creative writing. Um, I, I uh, sent the manuscript off to an editor who I met at Dragon Con. She's great. Ah. Um, when the manuscript came back after Chantel took a look at it, uh, she had some some just really great ideas as to where the story could go. And from the time I received the manuscript back, it was about two years until I submitted a completed product. Is this the first of a series or are you planning on having this as a standalone? Well, originally it was supposed to be a standalone. There, there are other things that I'm kind of itching to write, but... Um, a lot of people seem to really like this and they want to find out what happens with the survivors on their next mission. So I am uh, outlining book two. Uh, I think it's going to go ahead and, and be a, a three book trilogy. I, I, you know, I have a whole, a, a nice narrative arc uh, to bring everything around full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just filling in the major gaps in between. Sure. Uh, so I, I think three books. Eric Leland returns talking about his book, Inhuman, in just a moment. Do you like working in the horror vein or in the supernatural vein at all? Uh, I do. It gives you a lot of room for metaphor. It sure, sure does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, quote unquote, facing your demons. Yes, literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I do. It's a great way to explore you know, the things we're not proud of, the, thing, you know, the things we do we're not proud of. Um, you know, the things we regret. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it seems like the place to do that. Well, what's interesting is that you write longhand, and I see a computer behind you as, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing, as we see in the video here. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. What's the benefit of that for you to do that? I guess for, uh, you know, one, one, of the, one of the greatest pieces of advice uh, I ever received was give yourself permission to fail. For me, um, doing a rough draft on the computer, um, it just it seems so perfect, and uh, it's so easy to hit the delete key if you don't like what you've just written. Uh, however, you know if if you're writing longhand, you know a scribble 
through a thing you don't like and you just continue on uh, or an arrow here, say this paragraph would be better up here or notes to yourself in the margins almost becomes like a living thing that evolves. And uh, so I always do second drafts on the computer. I just take my notebook and, oh, okay. you know, clip it to my, my little support and just, I type that way. Oh, cool. Have you ever gone back and looked at the finished book and your original, you know, draft and looked at the differences and said, wow, that's, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually had, so this, this, um, this book went through nine drafts. Wow. And uh, so I, I print them out and I edit them longhand as well. And I have all nine drafts sitting in, in one of my drawers here. I don't know why I'll probably recycle them at some point, but uh, for right now, they're a little bit, they're, they're a piece of me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of course. I like to, keep them, like to keep them around. And then occasionally, you know, when I'm cleaning or, you know, sweeping or something, I'll, I'll pull some pages out and look and just kind of mm-hmm. see how, how much it evolved. It sounds like, you know, I've talked to a few authors, but it's kind of like it's a process, but it's also a journey, too, isn't it? Yeah, you um, you certainly learn things about yourself. Um, You know, for me, it was um, I I guess I learned what what I valued, but I also learned that what I valued wasn't necessarily the thing I should be valuing. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm very much more in tune with the time I have left on this planet, you know, and um, the, the people I surround myself with and just trying to make time for the people who are truly important. You know, those are just little things that you, you know, specifically when you're writing about military stuff, friends are taken away in an instant. Yeah. Um, you know, the same thing can happen to your loved ones. So sure. I guess what I learned is to just kind of turn off the things that I can't take with me, I guess, because really all we're left with is memories at the end, you know. One of the things I liked uh, looking at, you know, I've seen several pictures of your book in like in in the forest or jungles, it looks like. And it's neat the way the book is placed and everything. Did you do that yourself or did you have somebody take those pictures? No, I, I had to do it myself. You know, took my uh, took my Nikon out. I, so I live in the Pacific Northwest. We have a, a different setting for anything. We have deserts, we have mountains and yeah. uh, snowy peaks and volcanoes and ocean. <laughs> and uh, so really uh, for the, for the photos that you saw in, in you know, the jungle setting, uh, that was about 10 minutes away from my house. I just wow. went on a walking trail. <laughs> the ones on the, the mountaintops that was five hours down the road in a place called uh, Steamboat Rock. No, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's very pretty out here, and I'm very much taking advantage of it. You were, you're from the East. You're from New York State. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm in New York State right now in New York City. Uh, and that's quite a move to go from, from here to there. Uh, yeah. uh, but it sounds like, did you do it for the reasons that you talked about, being able to be outside and to enjoy something that you wouldn't normally enjoy? That. So when my uh, when my wife and her family immigrated, uh, they moved to Seattle. Oh, there you and, go. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so my my wife and I met in El Paso. We were both in the army. Oh and, wow! Uh, so when we were looking for a place to go after we left the military, you know, I grew up in New York. She grew up in Seattle. So we compromised and we moved to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's great. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is beautiful out there. And, and mm-hmm. I love nature and, I, you know, just reading, uh, you know, about you that you, you go on hikes and stuff and just really get out there. When you're doing that, do you find that ideas come to you as well? Very much so. I take a lot of trips around, you know, specifically Washington, but uh, I've taken a lot of cross-country trips as well. Like like a lot of people do, as you know, I listen to audiobooks. I listen to a lot of Cormac McCarthy's, uh, you know, Blood Meridian, you know, and then traveling through the Southwest, Blood Meridian seemed like the book to listen to. (laughs) And uh, you can just kind of just really imagine the places these people were going through. Yeah, as I'm traveling through these places and, and just looking at the scenery, yeah, a lot of ideas spawn out of that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just like you know, for those who haven't experienced the you know Pacific Northwest, um, yeah, I'd like it, it is it is unlike anything else on Earth. You know, mm-hmm. wow, is it available also electronically? I'm sure it is. It is. It's on Amazon. It's available nice. uh, currently for free f- uh, with Kindle Unlimited, uh, but the nice. ebook is there um, nice. and the print version is also available. What about uh, audio? Have you considered doing that? Uh, the audio is in production. That should be oh, cool. completed at the end of eight. Uh, I misspoke. The end of June. You did you you obviously had a hand in picking out your narrator. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Tim Campbell uh, mm-hmm. is his name. Uh, he's. He's great. He does a lot of audio. He's a multiple award-winning audiobook narrator. So mm-hmm. he's, he's really great. He'll do a good job. The audiobook is out since we chatted, which was in 2021. And it's also available at Amazon and Audible. You can also get the paperback. And it, as we mentioned, it's also available as an ebook on Kindle. So check it out. I think it's a very fascinating story. So check into it. Sci-Fi Talk Plus is a great podcasting gift, not only for yourself, but also for friends and family. There's over 800 episodes, really almost approaching 900, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs. The best part? It's free. Just click on the link in the show notes for a free lifetime access. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.